Hi everyone, welcome to Did You Watch The Race, the F1 podcast that looks at Formula 1 from the dual perspective of a long-time fan and a relative new fan. I'm Colm and I've been watching F1 for four years. I'm Jason and I've been watching F1 for the last 15 years. I'm producer and social media manager Gemma and I too have been watching F1 for four years. This week we're looking ahead to the Canadian Grand Prix in Montreal, running through all the news and rumours since the last race and Gemma will be bringing us through the history of another team. So we're going to get started with the news. There has once again been a pause on the South African Grand Prix, which was working towards a 2024 race. Um, unfortunately, it's been paused due to political differences. So according to sources, the decision was taken after South Africa aligned closely with Russia. And as we know with F1, they only like to align with certain supervillains and <laughs> Russia's not one of them. <laughs> so... Hamilton apparently has really been pushing for a race. Um, So there hasn't been a South African Grand Prix since 1994. And obviously there's no, currently no race, sorry. And obviously there's currently no tracks on the calendar that are on the continent of Africa. So it'd be really nice to see that coming back. But obviously it's bad juju. So yeah, there's been a breakdown in communications, unfortunately. So it means that Spa will most likely stay on the calendar for next year because I think their contract is running out this year. Yeah, they're on a kind of year-to-year basis at the moment Mm. because of, well, the money that they're paying isn't enough, I would assume. Mm. And just the issues in 2021 and previously in their organisation has kind of had them under the spotlight. It's a world championship and we don't race all across the world. It would be great to have a race in Africa. Mm -hmm. South Africa, obviously, yeah, is even excluding that. It's a very divisive country on the continent. Yes, that's a fair way of putting it. What was the issue with Spa last year? Not last year, the 2021. Was it the rain? Uh, it, the rain, but just the organisation around it as well. It wasn't just, they were like, oh, the weather's bad. It was, he organised this oh, event. Oh, sorry, yes, the the, uh, the whole aftermath and everything yeah. when you guys yeah. were. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Have there been other tracks in Africa before? Not that I know of. I'm open to correction on that. But I think South Africa is kind of the only country that could because it has the track there ready and everything like that. Yeah. Like it's a massive expense of any state that tries to take on getting in a Formula 1 Grand Prix into the country. You know, we can see the Middle Eastern countries can obviously do it because they have effectively infinite money. But we had the ill-fated Vietnamese Grand Prix in 2020 that was meant to happen. The only ever track that was in the F1 game fully made but never raced on. No, really? So, yeah, because that was that was scheduled for That's 2020 mad. and then basically in the time that it got cancelled because of COVID a load of corruption came out about around how it ended up getting built. That's effectively the only way you can build an F1 one track wow is corruption you know unless corruption yeah well in those kind of countries so you know and vietnam isn't a, isn't a rich country it would to my mind it would be a bit not contradictory but maybe not in the best interests of a lot of countries where there are other issues to be pushing for an f1 race you it kind of highlights those issues yeah yeah so i feel like they're like if they're getting bad press about specific things in their head it's probably not it's like this is the way the world should be you know. Oh, you know, I'm not even talking from the, I'm not talking from the F1 point of view, I'm just talking from individual countries. By and large, Africa isn't the, the wealthiest of continents, so... Yeah. Fair. Yeah, I, I'd love to see for F1 management themselves to step up and, and push for it to give us a full, you know, we race on all the other continents, why can't we race there? But, the, you know, they're trying to push out races that aren't giving them enough money, I can't see them pushing money into somewhere that they don't particularly want, want yeah. to raise. Mm. It'd also be, I like I imagine the rest of the, the tracks would probably put up a fuss about uh, Exactly, it well. yeah. So it, it would take a lot of political will within Formula 1 to find somewhere that it's ethical and right to hold a race. And financially stable enough. Yeah, and politically stable enough. Spa still, there's rumours that it'll get dropped slash alternated with 
Zanfort as well from Zanfort's contract runs out I think 2026 I want to say but from the end of Zanfort's contract basically that they will alternate races there there's a lot of hullabaloo out like everyone thinks Spa has to stay on the calendar it is one of the best tracks on the calendar to see a car go around but there's the historic aspect of it but I don't think that necessarily gives it the right to stay there while doing a bad job of hosting like we yes, we've been to Spa we've seen yeah. firsthand it was ran terribly like not, not nothing to do with the rain the rain was horrible but they can't control that. Everything else about it, the organisation was absolutely terrible. And that's just not good enough in this day and age. So, you know, I would love to see it stay in the calendar, but they need to show... And that's what they're trying to do. They've they've talked about this week. They had a couple of announcements out of all the different things they're adding to the fan zone and to make it a better experience at the track. So if they can improve on that, then definitely, yeah. But I don't know what's your... Yeah, I would agree. I don't think I'd have a strong enough opinion if we weren't experiencing one of the worst years for it I agree Jason especially the amount because I mean Formula 1 obviously the money is coming from up top but like it also is a sport that is very much enhanced by fan experience and if that is consistently a bad experience then that's really going to make the sport overall suffer so why would you constantly run a race somewhere that has been known to have to treat its fans badly and Zandvoort in comparison has been run very well I've heard yeah so I've heard... Yeah, Zandvoort seems like a really fun one. Yeah. I think when we were talking about going to going to races, I think that was one of the ones I mentioned. Or if at least it wasn't, it's in my head anyway. I think I'd like to go to Zandvoort. It's just like sold out immediately because of the Max Verstappen effect. But apparently it was run a lot better. Um, so I would definitely love to see that taken across the border into Belgium. That would be nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard line to to stay on though where you have your traditional tracks that really they, they shouldn't be leaving the calendar Silverstone Monaco is a bit divisive on that one but you know Sao Paulo Monza yeah if tracks are not doing a good job you know there needs to be consequences and whether that's monetary or like threatening to take the track off the off the calendar I feel like that's rather appropriate like in my head maybe a bit cynical at the minute yeah like, no they shouldn't they shouldn't be able to coast on their reputation yeah and, and Previous, offer a terrible yeah. experience to people because of that yeah look at look at Ferrari <laughs> yeah <laughs> catching strays everywhere it, it really opens up the, the the issue with how so do you know like how races work in terms of booking and that no so a track will have a contract with FOMs Formula 1 management and they pay Formula 1 management to have the event so they pay Formula 1 to host a Formula 1 race and oh. then they make the majority of the ticket sales etc etc it's a really short-sighted business model in my mind because that's what's kind of hamstrung Spa where they don't have the money because they're paying Formula 1 to improve as much as they could. So they've put a lot into it the last couple of years. They've made a lot of changes to the track. But, you know, I can't see why it can't be a cooperative agreement where, you know, the money is coming in anyway. Let's make an agreement to improve it. And Formula 1 investing back into the sport because at the end of the day, without the tracks, it's nothing. So... What do they do with that money that they get paid? Formula 1 management? Yeah. Sit around in bathtubs of it? (laughs) it's the expense to run you know they employ mass amounts of people prize money I know but should as you said it should almost be like a tax where like it goes back into improving the facilities part of it should part of it yeah it, it should be a combined effort between each of the tracks and Formula 1 management to give the best experience from both sides of it. whereas at the moment it's cost cutting on it's cost cutting on the track side and Formula 1 trying to bleed everything they can out of the tracks this is why we see the prevalence of the Middle Eastern tracks and the like of Miami Baku Vegas where they're pumping massive amounts of money into it and they're basically for paying Formula 1 whenever they want because they just want the plaudits for it whereas the more traditional tracks are always you'll always hear rumours of bankruptcy around tracks and why they can't host them and that's why there's no races in Germany anymore because Hockenheim and Nürburgring couldn't afford to host an F1 race that's, that's sad 
that kind of brings us on to so as well the yeah. sports washing it's not exactly top of the news in formula one at the moment but it's very prevalent across sports obviously with the pga slash live merger golf. and golf and the amount of players that are being snapped up by the the saudi league soccer wise getting paid obscene amounts of money formula one is probably one of the original <laughs> yeah proponents of, of this type of deal so it's very sad as a I, i'm I like the majority of sports, but it's it's obviously very sad to see sports going just the way of pure money. Money rules everything. And I can understand that. That's understandable. But it, it's sad that sport has become an ethical and political decision to watch effectively. Yeah. And the reason yeah. the reason I dislike it is because it's a sport first and it's a business second. So I like Formula One. I like golf. I like soccer. I like football. I like the sport. Money obviously makes sport happen. Mm. But they're taking away what is the core of the sport, you know, and making it, making me unethical for liking watching the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, making me unethical for watching the World Cup. They're taking stuff away from people, but it's so, so effective at sports watching. Oh yeah. Like, I think the longer anything lasts, the more, like, someone is going to get into power that the money is going to corrupt. Like, I was just going to say, this is kind of like the fundamentals of capitalism. Like, no one provides money for anything in this world without an agenda. Yeah. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And money makes things happen. Or neutral. Yeah. Money makes things happen, as you said, Jason. Oh, 100%. And unfortunately, there are very few people who are giving away their hard-earned cash for out of the kindness of their own heart. And that's the same reason why we won't be seeing, uh, like... a attracting the continent of Africa because yeah. Yeah, the F1 aren't willing to put in they're not like if they're taking deals from Saudi Arabia and stuff I don't think it's on their agenda to be the most you know forward thinking progressive yeah exactly what, what bothers me is it, it takes it away from like sport is for everyone of every social class and whatever life style yeah yeah. And, you know, like I said, I like the World Cup. I like soccer. I don't really care where the World Cup is. But because I like it and it was in Qatar, I, you know, I feel bad for liking it. You're a bad person. Yeah, now. exactly. Sorry. No, hold on, hold on. Now, I'll clear that up. You're a bad person before. <laughs> all, but now it's no yeah. I'm also a bad person for this reason. So, and, you know, for a lot of people, sport is their main getaway from real life. You know, they're, that's their hobby. Yeah. And yeah, some people don't watch television. They just watch sports. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So it's a select few people in the world who are taking that away and making it controversial when nobody asks for it. And now we're sitting here like idiots talking about politics instead of F1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And look, obviously, look, we're sitting from a very high horse. We don't have that many concerns in the world compared to the rest mm, of it. So, yeah, yeah it's... It's it's just awkward to be put in as the middleman as a like a, a fan of any kind of sport. Feeling bad watching something that you like because of something that was completely out of your control is yeah yeah, yeah it's very frustrating. The world's too complex to yeah like, it's it's heavy there's too to, to boil down to on an F one podcast yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> let's try it. <them. laughs> I'm gonna get out of the chalkboard. Uh, but yeah, so that's our first and hopefully last piece of virtue signaling that we will. Doing this podcast, I think that the, my big takeaway of it is that, look, sports watching is going to continue to exist and get worse. I don't think you should stop watching the sport you like because of it. I think just make an effort to educate yourself around yeah. the sports. Not educate, it seems advertising. Just try and not forget about the other side of the country that's yeah. winning the Champions League or... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So speaking of stupidly rich people... This is a nice little segue into our next little piece of news, which isn't directly Formula One related, but is to do with a, a Formula One icon, maybe. So mm, ex- uh, icon, supervillain. Yeah. Demigod turned supervillain. Yeah. Yeah. Anti-hero. So the ex-Formula One boss, 
Bernie Eccleston denies fraud charge after hiding more than four hundred million pounds from the taxman in Singapore. So I like okay, I don't know anything about numbers. I don't know anything about tax, and I really don't know anything about fraud. So I was trying to figure out. I know something about Singapore, and he is going to get. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> really? Oh, I suppose they're very strict, aren't Singapore they? Singapore don't fuck around. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's actually on their flag. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I was trying to figure out. So uh, Bernie Eccleston's 93. Didn't think he was that old. He's alleged to have failed to declare a trust in Singapore, which was a bank account containing around $650 million as part of the probe. So I think there was a probe into some other kind of dodgy tax stuff. But then this led to the discovery of this other bank account. So basically, he was trying to like get it sorted and clear his name as far as I can understand. And then they were like, oh, "Where? what about this 400 million you have hiding under the mattress? And he was like, Mm-mm-mm. So the particular state that Eccleston has three grown-up daughters. So he had established a single trust that was in the favor of his daughters. And other than, so basically, other than the daughters who were like, in the documents to say that they could access this trust. They were not to, you couldn't access the money. So I assume that because, and it was outside of the UK, so I assume it's a problem because it's outside of the UK and also that this trust, quote unquote, was not being used as a trust. Yes. yeah, yeah. That's my understanding of I it. I assume so, yeah. I'm just picturing like, you know, when you haven't worn a jacket in a while and you find a fiver in it and you're like, oh, yes, a fiver. I was like the Singapore Gardaí ring and Bernie Eccleston being like, what about this £400 million? It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about it. I, I forgot where it. that was. So basically Bernie's in trouble, but he'll probably just die to get out of the charges. Yeah, I doubt the man gives. A shite. Yeah. it's And to be honest, the man is so unlikable and has done so. God, he's the worst. This is really just another feather in the bow. Like, where does this rank on being a massive racist and saying Putin is a good guy? Yeah. You know, it's pretty low on that list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, not the worst thing he's done. No, yeah. But Bernie, if you're listening, hopefully you get... No, we don't hope he gets anything. I was going to say, I hope he gets Caught. everything he's deserved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. I was say, hope, hope, you get, uh, hope you get off on that charge. In actual... Motorsport news, Ferrari won the Le Mans at the weekend. That was very nice to see a Ferrari team winning (laughs) something. It was quite a historic race. Well, this this is the 100th running of Le Mans and it's been 50 years since Ferrari have entered. So a team in the the top category. So the the prototype category, the new prototype category. And Antonio Giovinazzi was one of the drivers. So nice to see them doing well. It's an hilarious indirect happening of the cost cap. So this was where Ferrari basically set up the prototype team, the Le Mans team, because they didn't want to let go of staff and they had the budget. So they were spending whatever 400 or 50 million on Formula 1. So they're like, ah, let's just divert this and do Hypercar as well. And so that's where most of them ended up. And they, yeah, went on to win it. That's very cool. That is class. Yeah, exactly. And Ferrari, almost Ferrari did as well, where it started raining. Uh, They were leading before the rain, I think around the 15 hours mark. And started raining and one of the drivers spun out they came in messed up the pit stop came out in fourth and fifth and then in the last hour of the race as well they came in for the last pit stop and the car stalled and they couldn't get it started <gasps> so then they got out they got out in the end and won it by a minute and a bit which is like a minute and a bit over the course of 24 hours mad is, yeah <laughs> wow that's cool that's amazed. Yeah, really high standard driving Michael Fassbender crashed in it oh, on the really? lower side of drive, <laughs> driving standards <laughs> but yeah Le Mans maybe we'll yeah, do more coverage on it next it. year yeah, that'd be cool. 
Does anyone, do you know much about the Canada track? Do you want to start the race preview this week? Can I start it by saying, I don't know much about the Canadian Grand Prix. I don't know much about the track. I think as someone who started watching at the start of COVID, obviously we were robbed of a year or two. Two, yeah, there's only been one Canadian Grand Prix since mm. COVID. And I actually can't remember it. Sorry, Canada. I'm in the exact same boat. <laughs> I don't remember any Canadian yeah. Grand Prix. No, uh, Canada's one of my favorite tracks on the year it's not necessarily all this best race i just i don't know i just really like the track it's quite it's very polite it's very polite know. yeah Ooh, suri suri <laughs> it it can throw up just some it, it's possibly the greatest race of all time was in canada in 2011 where button won with five pit stops a drive-through penalty and being last halfway what? through the race yeah it, what? if Jesus. anyone has ever watched the 2011 canadian grand prix go and watch it it Holy is the shit. best race yeah I, oh well now you've i can't watch it now you've spoiled it so it's similar to albert park where it's a it kind of technically street track but it's not really at all it's purpose-built track that is also a park so it's in the middle of a kind of i'm not sure if it's a man-made or not but it's in the middle of an island in montreal cool really scenic it's kind of for me it's what i picture of f1 what i remember from the 90s and noughties when you just see it on tv of low walls trees behind it cars going flying around it it's that kind of picturesque mm. f1 track it's a very challenging track on the drivers it's quite high speed it has the famous champions wall have you i assume you have heard of that nope oh, okay nope. so out of the last chicane is champions wall it's yeah so it's a really fun race it's also possible any weather can happen in it you know anywhere in between blazing sun torrential rain and Everywhere in between. I'm actually going to check the weather for this weekend. I was just about to say we should check. I wouldn't mind if it wasn't raining. I know we're usually going for a rainy race, but actually I think after Imola, I'm just a bit like, yeah, I'd I'd be fine with a dry track. Not after Imola. I think uh, some of the the last couple of races have been quite good. Um, Yeah. I know. And if you're George Russell, it Spain rains every now. single race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the current weather report. We forgot to mention that last week. Oh, we? Yeah, we did. We that did. Was that funny. was funny. The current weather report as of Monday when we're recording is rain, rain, and then slightly less rain on Sunday. So oh. yeah, we could be in for that. It's, yeah, it's a real driver's track. You know, it rewards commitment. It's, other than Champions Wall, it's relatively forgiving, you know. Okay, well, it'll make for an interesting qualifiers. Yeah, it definitely should. I think setup will be very important this weekend because we obviously have the team still coming in, fixing up their upgrades. They're going to be trying to dial that in between if there's a wet weather quality and a dry race, trying to get that right. So that'll throw up its own issues over the weekend. But yes, yeah, so the track characteristics... Yeah. We're on the soft side of the Pirelli range. Okay. It's relatively easy on tyres. It's massively hard on brakes. It has one of the biggest braking zones on the calendar. Well, excluding Baku. There's yeah, a couple of the biggest braking zones on the calendar. Really heavy on brakes. So teams like Alpha Tauri, I would be concerned for them this weekend. They've had constant issues with their brakes over the last little while. So them kind of guys, yeah, it'd be... I'd and be... is the consequence of that the brakes going on fire? Is it failing? Is it... What is the... Everything in between. Okay. And right. just getting them dialed in that they, they work for the duration of the race it's you'll see a lot of plumes of smoke coming out of the wheels yeah coming up the back straight we had brake failures before as well so in 2016 hamilton's brake fails and rothberg just about held on to them so certain drivers have to tweak their style a little bit mm. depending on how how the brakes are hanging on so that creates its own interesting management you know it's usually we see tire management of course not brake management but that that's what they'll be doing i would be fancy that's interesting yeah yeah i think aston martin will definitely be coming back at mercedes this weekend as compared to barcelona it should suit them a little bit more so it's a rear limited track so the you know rear limited is that mean they're gonna be a lot of oversteer 
No. Kind of, yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so rear limited first front. So Spain is a front limited track. Yeah. Where... This means where the little car will fail most likely first. Not so much fail, but where, where they need to set up first. So, yeah, with yeah, where the, where the tires will get chewed up the most. So a okay. rear limited track is one that has big braking zones and then big acceleration zones. So they're limited by how okay. much acceleration they can get out of the rear tires over the course of the stint. A front limited track is somewhere like Barcelona where you've cut consistent long swooping turns and no big massive stop massive start so say barcelona with the especially with the change this year they had lots of time to build up speed until they got onto the main straight Mm -hmm. montreal there is a very tight hairpin and then a very long straight so if they are running out of rear grip that's where they're going to suffer and that's why it's a rear limited track yeah okay interesting so yeah the the easiest way to spot them is big straights massive braking zones follow or sorry massive braking zone followed by a big straight is Mm -hmm. usually your rear limited stuff with long swooping medium to high speed turns is generally front limited okay okay but so aston martin by their own admission have said they're they're not great on the front limited tracks and ferrari have said kind of much the same as well so i would expect that second third fourth place battle to be a lot more interesting this week than it was in barcelona because obviously we saw Ferrari and Aston Martin just kind of drop off Mercedes. Mercedes had incredible pace as well, but yeah. That would make sense then, yeah, as the, as the result. Of exactly, yeah. So we still don't know though how good that Mercedes car is. You know, they're very good there. This will be a good test to see kind of... This if big, it, the updates kind of keep up with mm. the new track or next tracks. Yeah, exactly. If if the, if Barcelona was an outlier, because obviously they were quite strong in Barcelona last year as well. But yeah, so if Barcelona was an outlier, or if they've actually made some genuine strides with that car, Aston Martin would be bringing in upgrades as well. And oh. Ferrari will be fine tuning theirs because they had obviously a bit of a mare with it in Barcelona. So I think yeah. that fight will be very, very interesting this weekend. Red Bull, it's hard to see anyone taken away from them. The track, it, there, there's no track on the calendar I don't look at and say, oh, it doesn't suit that car. Bar <laughs> yeah. maybe Monaco, but that's just because Monaco is, is not a car heavy yeah. track. Yeah. But also I think it's one of the things where like there probably is a lot of tracks that don't suit the car. Or the car doesn't suit the track or whatever. But it's also going to be all the other cars are in the exact same boat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's and it's a case where it's not that they're good or bad on a track. It's they're good or great, you know. Mm, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited though. Yeah. Um, the way you've positioned it is, it, it's, a, it's made me more excited for it. I kind of forgot there's only been one Canadian Grand Prix since... 2019? Since, yeah, since since COVID. So a lot of people Drive haven't seen one. Yeah. But yeah, so any predictions this weekend? Just the low-hanging fruit like usual. Do not say Ferrari. <laughs> Do not say Ferrari. Please. I don't have to. Yeah, Simon I was, I, I was also thinking about the Red Bulls, but like... No, apart from that's that. obviously very obvious. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't have any wild predictions. I think Stroll's going to out-qualify Alonso if it's wet. Oh. I know I've been saying this repeatedly. Yeah, you also have been saying that repeatedly. I disagree, but yeah. Yeah, but Stroll has stuck Williams on P2 here in a wet weather qualifying. He really likes his track. It's his home race. Fair, actually. I think but I think after Barcelona as well, it was a bit of a hollow victory over Alonso, but I think that'll give him a bit of inspiration and he's a driver. Also, just to touch on that interview. Yeah. Oh my God, so good. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, that was funny. But yeah, I am expecting a decent weekend out of Stroll here. I hope so. Piastri in top 10 for qualifiers. I was thinking something along I the same lines. I think yeah. it... Now, this is based on literally nothing, but I have a feeling it could be an interesting track for him. I'm going to say... Also top 10. Hulk and oh, yeah. Magnussen are going to get some points. Oh, both of them. Both of them. I was going to say, I have absolutely no... Uh, reasoning as to why this might be but uh, you know I don't have any other predictions so I might as well just go for a random bold one and if I'm right you know I win points right don't we have a table don't we or something yes 
We'll be reviewing this weekend's Grand Prix next Wednesday on the podcast again. So hopefully we have an enjoyable race to talk about. Are we ready for a history lesson? Yes. Well, yes. settle in, students. This week, because of their... Can we get the campfire noise in the background? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gather round, children. I'm going to tell you a little story. And in honour of the P2 and P3 win from Barcelona, we're going to be looking at Mercedes, who have quite an extensive history. Mercedes were actually a works team way, way back in the 1930s before the sport was officially formalised. Uh, they then came in 1954 with Fangio winning a World Driver Championship and again in 1955. They then left in 1955 after those two wins, after the Le Mans disaster involving a Merck car. So the name Silver Arrows actually comes from the fact that they used to race bare aluminium chassis to save weight, which is a a pretty cool fact. And there was no actual crossover between the original Mercedes team and Tyrrell, who became basically the new team in 1958. So there's, started from scratch, basically. The original Mercedes works team from the 50s was a separate entity to Tyrrell. Which is what became. It's mad, the evolution. So here we arrive in 1958. Ken Tyrrell started running his own cars in F3 and started building his own cars in 1970. So there was a solid 12-year gap where he was just doing F3, but then he decided to build his own cars. So in fact, the golden era was between 1968 and 1973 when they won three F1 championships with Jackie Stewart. So obviously they moved into F1 before 1970 when they started becoming their own manufacturer. But Jackie Stewart started with Terrell, which is pretty cool. Terrell's final victory came in Detroit in 1983 after a subsequent fallow period. The team was sold to British American Tobacco ahead of the 1999 season. This was so random. Well, not, I guess, I guess back then, like tobacco companies ran the show, but like that yeah, that's who owned the team. All of the sponsorship basically in Formula One for... The majority of the 90s into the early noughties. Matt. Which was my favourite year of advertising in fairness on the cars. Yeah, because they were probably cool. With just because Jordan had Benson and Hedges oh, as a sponsor. Cool. And then when they got banned, well, sorry, when tobacco sponsorship got banned, Benson and Hedges still wanted to sponsor the team. So they just changed the logo on the car to Buzz and Hornets. So it still <laughs> had the massive B and H in That's the same cool. font. But yeah. So there was some quite inventive advertising at the time. with the Mission Winnow? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. The man, Ken Terrell, who founded Terrell Racing, he has a famous wooden shed where he would basically manufacture cars and like test things out. And it's actually still present in the industrial state, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which is very, very cool. So you can look that up. So we move on then from original Mercedes to Terrell to British American Racing which is a shite name in my opinion. So BAR ran from 1999 to 2005 and they used Honda engines from the year 2000 until 2005. The team was named after the British American Tobacco Company, which owned and sponsored the team in order to display its Lucky Strike and its 555 brand. So, And the headquarters were in Brackley, North Hampshire, United Kingdom. So along with Jackie Stewart in the line of famous drivers, Jacques Villeneuve, as well as Jensen Button, with little success though, unfortunately, because in 2005 the team was sold to Honda which is brings us nicely to Honda racing team okay we're halfway through guys we have this okay we're in the this century we're in this millennium we're almost there so the British American tobacco company was still the title sponsor with the Lucky Strike brand which is an extremely old cigarette company 
I think, or an extremely old cigarette brand. But due to the new tobacco advertising regulations, which we touched on earlier, they had to pull the sponsorship from Formula One and basically the season ended in 2006 because they had no money there. So that was a, a brief flash in the pan. However, they were able to carry on until 2008. So actually, Button won the following year in Hungary. But... Unfortunately, the recession then came in 2008 and kind of was the final blow to Honda. So Honda withdrew at the end of the season and was bought by ex-Ferrari technical director Ross Braun. And that was bought for a pound. Yeah, so around the time of the Great Recession, as it's called, in 08, there's a lot of figurative one pound buyouts because it's in British law. I'm pretty sure that a, a sum of legal tender has to be given no as part of a business transfer. A business buyout. So yeah, he bought the team for a pound. Some reports say 50p, some reports say a pound, but yeah. That's so cool. mad. So this leads us on to Braun. So Ross Braun bought the team and kept it alive as Braun Grand Prix. Now, I don't know a huge amount about Ross Braun, but I do know that he basically like is the reason why we still have Mercedes now today, isn't it? Ross Braun was technical director while Schumacher was at Ferrari. So between himself, Schumacher and Jean Tott, who obviously was the head of the FIA up until recently, that was, they were the trifecta really that gave Ferrari the utter dominance that they had early in the noughties. He had left Ferrari, I believe, at that point. But yeah, I think seeing the opportunity and was like, yeah, why not? Let's go for it. Yeah, so Braun actually did end up winning the 2009 championship with Button in their first and only season. And this is also it coincidentally when they started to run with Mercedes engines yeah so that car and that season will be, it'll never happen again of such a kind of fairy tale of sport and how it kind of came about. So the car was originally designed... Did they have the double diffuser? Was that theirs? Yes, that was the exact one. So the car was originally designed with Honda engines as well, so they had to redesign the rear end of the car. But they basically had the double diffuser and they knew it was going to be so good and they knew that they didn't have the money to (laughs) develop the car over the course of the season. So they just went absolute balls to the wall for the first eight races of the year. I think they won six of the first eight, if not more. I can't remember. Because the, the double diffuser was so powerful and... It was actually only brought about because of a misreading of the regulations. No way. Yeah, so one of the Honda slash then Braun GP engineers had kind of misinterpreted one of the regulations and was like, oh, let's make... So basically the double diffuser is what it was. There was a second layer of the diffuser and that just gave the car incredible rear end grip and still low drag. So yeah, the story goes that he misread the regulations around that area of the floor and then had designed a way and then went to somebody was like oh that can't be right then they went back and looked at it and were like oh no this is a massive loophole that nobody's seen the regulations and because they, they hit it relatively well early mm. in the season as well and redesigning a diffuser on the car that much around the rear end of the car is nigh on impossible mid-season so they had that kind of eight race window where after that team teams were able to f- copy it but yet they just basically had the best idea of maybe possibly that decade in the sport and capitalised it and then made out like bandits. Well, actually, sorry, they didn't make out like bandits. Braun obviously stayed on then as (laughs) during the Mercedes, yeah. Yeah. But in fairness, that's an amazing story. That's actually so cool. Yeah. That is like one in a million chance. Yeah, it's like, it's similar to Leicester winning the Premier League in 1516. It's just a fairy tale, once in a lifetime opportunity and M&M job, you know, they'd one shot, one opportunity (laughs) and they seized everything. Mom's spaghetti. Uh, (laughs) This brings us up then to Mercedes that we all know today. So when Mercedes bought Braun, they actually brought Michael Schumacher out of retirement to race him to quite a lot of success. And now they have Chevron. Now they have set. No. They have eight. Eight world titles. They have eight world titles under. Eight back to back world titles. Seven back to back. 
world drivers. With Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton. So they are arguably one of the most successful Formula One teams of current time. Of the modern era, yeah. yeah. They, I, I think they were what they were. Literally. All of the hybrid era, you could say. Well, they were... But they were the only successful team really of the hybrid era. <laughs> so that is, I hope you enjoyed that little story of the, the team with many names, but it is now called Mercedes for the moment. Who knows when the next team will evolve. So that'll be all from us this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Wednesday with our Canadian race review. If you've enjoyed the podcast, be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. It really helps us if you leave a review there and make sure to tell your friends and family to give us a listen. We're also on Instagram at Did You Watch The Race, all one word. And while you're there, be sure to check out Coley Illustrations. And a big thanks to her, as always, for doing our beautiful artwork. So thanks for listening. I've been Colm. I've been Jason. I've been Gemma. And we'll talk to you next Wednesday. So we'll be reviewing this weekend's Grand Prix next week. We'll be, oh Jesus Christ, we'll be reviewing. We will be Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm already Jesus.